You are listening to Dementia Dialogue, and my name is David Harvey. This is the second episode in our series on human rights and dementia. In the previous episode, I forgot to mention our resource page that is on our website, DementiaDialogue.ca, where you can find information about key advocacy groups and documents referred to in our program. Today we are talking with Christine Telker, a dementia advocate and member of Dementia Alliance International. After Christine, we will be hearing from Jane Barrett, who is Secretary General of the International Federation on Aging and is a leading advocate on ageism. Finally, our conversation will lead us to Professor Deb O'Connor from UBC, who will help us apply a human rights perspective on how we support people in long-term care. I spoke to Christine from her home in Vernon, British Columbia. So thanks very much, Christine, for joining our conversation uh, about human rights and dementia on uh, Dementia Dialogue. You mentioned uh, that you had gone to the United Nations as a representative of the uh, Dementia Alliance International. And I'm wondering whether you might kind of uh, give us a little bit of the background as to how you arrived at the United Nations and what was the message that you brought there? Sure, I'd love to. Dementia Alliance International actually was, um, you know, what I always say, a life-saving organization for me after my diagnosis. And through working with them, just by joining their support groups, and then I got actively involved in a lot of the advocating um, work that they do. So Dementia Alliance International was asked to hold a side event, they call them. So we were able to present and I was chosen to go and represent them and do the speech. And it was really important that dementia finally get acknowledged and talked about. Um, it's often an overlooked disability. So it was really important. So that's sort of how I got there. Okay. Now, as I understand it, the um, dementia is covered by the United Nations uh, Charter on the Rights of People with Disabilities. But as you said, it's been overlooked for uh, many years. And I'm wondering if you have some insight as to why that would be the case. I think um, in large part because of the stigma that surrounds dementia. Um, and the fear. So the, the combination of those two things, uh, people don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of it. Right. Okay. Uh, because the stigma around it, all most people know and hear about dementia is that in the stage where you're sitting in a hallway at the end of some care home in a wheelchair drooling and they don't get to see the rest of the picture. So that fear is what has created that unwillingness for people to look at it and talk about it. Women are impacted by dementia far more than men. So we have more women living with and diagnosed. And it is the fifth leading cause of death in the world. And that's listed uh, at the World Health Organization for women. 
why are women impacted so much more? You know, is it because in the last 50 years, women have taken on all these other roles that they hadn't been previous? You know, they're, they're working full time along with being mothers, along with being homemakers. Um, they have these high pressure careers. And, and so is all of those things creating an overload of stress on women's systems? Like we need to start having investigations done and, and answering the why. Yeah. Um, yes, women make up uh, about two thirds of the caregivers. So again, there's more high stress, which may lead the more likelihood to them ending up with dementia themselves. So that's a significant number. And most of those roles being the caregiver is unpaid. All of those are pretty significant issues that need to be addressed and how, how to better support the women in those roles. And as far as working in the facilities um, in dementia units, mostly women working in those positions, although there are more and more males starting to take on those roles. And some of them do just amazing jobs. Again, those are high stress jobs, very rewarding, but very stressful. And there's lots of aspects of those jobs that are not very well addressed. And of course, as we have seen through this COVID-19 pandemic, the whole issue surrounding the long-term care and dementia care has been sort of blown wide open. And really, um, this is our opportunity to address all of the issues that need to be fixed and not just study it more and not just review it more. We need to actually fix it. How do you think a human rights approach might contribute to that fix? Well, there's a lot of human rights issues in long-term care. And in dementia care specifically, people are on locked units, so they're segregated. Segregation was banned years ago, and yet somehow they think it's okay to segregate people with dementia. And again, that I think comes from a total lack of knowledge, education, and willingness to treat people as humans should be treated. That's a big piece of it. You can't take people and lock them away. They don't have access to fresh air and outdoors and interactions. Um, they have very limited resources put to recreation, the rehabilitation, occupational therapies. Those things just don't happen. Although they say they happen, the reality is they don't happen. I think a lot of people have to stop looking through their rose-colored glasses, so to speak, and saying, well, they're doing the best they can. No, actually, take your glasses off and have a really good look. You wouldn't want to live that way, so why are you accepting that it's okay for other people to be subjected to living this way? So we really have to get real with ourselves, and then we have to start demanding that our officials put the human element back into care and not make it all about dollars 
And it doesn't matter whether it is a government-funded facility or a private facility. They should be run on best practices for the humans they're taking charge of. So people can start using their voices through organizations like Dementia Advocacy Canada. Start getting involved. Even if you don't have dementia yourself, chances are you know someone who does you know, someone who did, you're going to know somebody who will, one in three. So, you know, look in the mirror and look to your right and left. And guess what? <laughs> you might want to get involved now and make sure the changes happen. Thanks very much, Christine. We are next going to be talking with Jane Barrett, who lives in Canada and can speak to how Canada compares internationally. Jane lives in Toronto. I'm a natural optimist. And I, I think we have to, you know, a review is only as good as the advocates behind it. Exactly. So, you know, I can tell you that if there were 2 million people standing at Queen's Park and saying to Mr Ford, this is not right, then the world would change. And it's that kind of action that we need. I'm hopeful and optimistic in an environment that has been a shocking uncovering of a system that has not been invested in for decades. Yeah. For over 10 years now, at the United Nations, there's been the open-ended working group on ageing. A convention doesn't override what's going on in a country, you know, but a convention does enable an older person in their family to actually appeal. We're hopeful coming out of this tragic, tragic series of events with pandemic, that Canada will be a leader in the discussion and drafting of the convention, which up until now, they haven't been so strong. Look, it, it does come and go, but in recent times, particularly because Canada has been such so affected in terms of our older populations dying. Um, you know, there has been greater conversations and we're hoping that it is certainly, you know, becoming one of the priorities. You know, there'd be nothing better than Canada to step forward because we are a known as a nation of humanity and for protecting the rights of all people. So now is the time for Canada to step forward. And we've also got this groundswell, you know, the bottom up, um, you know, citizens, families, older people, you know, organisations such as those that you represent and, and mine, IFA, you know, it's about what is our common agenda and the common message. So top down, bottom up policy development, you know, is, is, is optimum. We have a lot of work to do in Canada as it relates to long-term care models, also the care of older people, but also the healthcare workers. Yes. Um, Long-term care means providing services in the community all the way through to high-level clinical care that some people will always need. And it's that continuum that we don't have as yet. So helping to support somebody at home is equally as important as having the high-level care in a facility. What would happen if 
we brought around the table, you know, participation, you know, rotary, you know, seroptimus, as well as Alzheimer's Disease Association, as well as CARF, as well as UFT, University of Toronto, and had a conversation about what's our common agenda? What can each of us bring to the table? And together be a much more powerful voice when we go and talk to policymakers. Sometimes by our very efforts to advocate, we actually split and are divided you know, in the intention. Because if you ask the question of any of those people around the table, who wants to be spending their last two or three days, years in a nursing home? Nobody would put their hand up. That's right. So everybody has an investment and we need to have people coming from different angles, but we need to be talking with one voice. And so we've actually got to think, what is in my control? What is in my control? Because there's lots that's out of my control. So what's in it? So what can I do? I can have a strong voice. I can connect with like-minded people. And, you know, I think about um, family who are caring for loved ones with dementia. What is in your control? And there may be only just a small piece. The only piece may be that, you can actually go and get a cup of tea and spend 15 minutes by yourself. Well, grab hold on to that because the more you can understand what's in control, then the better position you're in to have clear voice. Thanks very much for your time and thoughts, Jane. Finally, we are back in British Columbia and join Professor O'Connor from her home in Vancouver. Uh, When we talk about human rights and dementia or human rights and aging, and we think of the population of people that live in long-term care homes who have probably a considerable level of disability and considerable level of health needs, can you describe how you would uh, consider social citizenship or human rights in that context? Sure. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting question, actually, because I think we think that the two are different and are work in opposition. And so my first point that I thought needed to be addressed is that I don't think it's a biomedical model versus a social model or social model. I think it's a biomedical model and a social model. And when I look at that, um, we need to approach long-term care in a way that's integrating both The concern is is that right now the biomedical needs supersede the social needs and they take on a hierarchy of their own. And so for me, what that means is recognizing that there are medical health needs for the person and refraining from attributing all behavior to to those medical needs. When someone's diagnosed with dementia, it's way too common for others to just assume that the person's now vulnerable that they're incapable and that they're in need of protection. And so we actually begin to bypass certain rights that a person has. And so the reason for moving to a social citizenship lens, particularly for moving out of a personhood lens and into a social citizenship lens was to recognize that because somebody has a diagnosis of dementia, they don't become passive recipients of care. 
that dementia is not a language for saying that somebody's incapable. We interpret society too frequently, interpret it like that. And my talking to people says that that's one of the hardest things for living with dementia is that people just automatically start to discount you. So social citizenship lens was to try and promote a language for thinking about people with dementia is essentially having the same legal rights as the rest of us do. That human rights or social citizenship reinforces that. It reinforces also that people are active agents in their own life, even with things like where there might be neurodegenerative changes happening it does in one aspect of my brain it doesn't mean that i can't grow in other aspects of my life that people can continue to meaningfully participate both in their own lives and society in general the dimension never wholly encapsulates nobody ever becomes their dimension there's so many other aspects of our self-identity and all of us will experience dementia in very unique and different ways. And that label just doesn't capture it. The main piece is that we look at it, that people have the right to a full life. For many people with dementia, the stigma and discrimination that they're confronted with on a daily basis often presents as one of the biggest hurdles in learning to live with dementia. So one of the first pieces for me is, is that I need to recognize that and I need to look at my role and, my, and I'm, am I playing a part in that? Then I need to begin to look at how do we counter that as society and as individuals? And so pieces for me become, and probably this is gonna be a bit repetitive, but to say, we actually have to recognize that comp competence or capacity isn't an all or nothing concept and that people can be capable in some areas of their lives in decision-making and not in other areas. We need to assume competence in the person with dementia, irrespective of the diagnosis, and that should only change after there's clear evidence that the person is not capable, rather than our typical change, which, which begins to treat them as incapable yeah. immediately upon hearing the diagnosis. But more than that also is to recognize that even if there's areas where somebody may need help and may not be as able to make some decisions, there will also remain areas where, that, where they are able to be making decisions and exerting control over their own lives. And that we really need to be looking for those areas and making sure that we're not stepping in and taking over it's under the guise of taking care when in fact we're just being being yeah. paternalistic i think it's the language that you look and so ensuring the opportunity for people to continue to contribute for as long as they're capable and from my experience that can go well well into um into i've worked in long-term care where people could give very clear pieces of participating in decisions about their own lives well into the disease process. And we need to be listening to those and we need to be fostering yeah. those because that's what dignified human care and rights-based care is, I think. I'd like to thank all of our contributors today. Remember to go to our resource page at DementiaDialogue.ca. Our next episode will be released on June 22nd when we talk with Kate Swaffer, president of Dementia Alliance International and who is a citizen of Australia, and Stephanie Friel, 
a Canadian who now works with the World Health Organization in the Netherlands. On June 26th, we will be hosting a live call-in town hall show. We hope that you can join us and you can find more information on our website. During the town hall, we will talk about the various calls to action outlined by our contributors and discuss how we might be able to advance the cause of human rights and dementia. Thank you very much.